0: Dear Lord, our Father, we are so thankful for your mercy and your love, according to which you gave your only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, that Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Father, we pray through the reading and preaching of the Holy Scriptures now this morning, that we would hear Again, the gospel, and that we would see your love for us in Jesus Christ, and that you would fill our hearts with that love, so that we may in turn love one another as Christ has loved us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians... Actually, I'm going I'm to back up a couple verses. Uh, yeah, I'll start at chapter 12, verse 27. start at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Another reading of God's Word. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but eagerly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to remove mountains but I have not love I am nothing. If I give away all I have And if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. This is perhaps the most famous chapter on love in the Bible, the most famous and well-known complete chapter. Uh, you may have seen this uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, on greeting cards, uh, in stitchery, and calligraphy. Uh, most likely you've encountered this chapter uh, at weddings, commonly read at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 is uh, read on those special occasions, um, where a man and a woman are joined in holy matrimony and that's what most people associate 1 Corinthians 13 with is uh, the chapter about marriage Um, and they assume it's describing the love between a a husband and a wife but the truth is that's not what Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit had in mind that's not to say that there's anything wrong with reading this chapter uh, to muse on love or at a wedding that's perfectly fine I will likely uh, read this chapter at weddings myself um, it's okay for that, to encourage uh, particularly married people to love one another. That's what love looks like. But those aren't the original purpose for this chapter. Uh, there was a specific reason why Paul wrote this, um, wrote these words to the Corinthian church, and it was to correct the problems that were going on at the church. Right? It's the first and that's, that's the first and main purpose of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, the first and main purpose is not that it's a dissertation, on the virtue of love, or a general essay on the topic of love. Paul here is addressing a specific problem, a real problem in the church at Corinth. And he's confronting the sinful attitudes and actions that have divided the church into factions. And his description of love here is to be interpreted in light of that particular situation. We'll look this morning as it naturally breaks apart, this chapter. It's naturally arranged. We'll look at verses 1 to 3, the deficit of love, that is what love looks like what, what, what things look like with, with the absence of love. Verses 1 to 3, the deficit of love. Uh, and then verses 4 to 7, we'll look at the description of love, that middle portion. And then verses 8 to 13, we'll look at the destiny of love. The destiny of love. Uh, as we've seen, as we have looked through these many week, weeks, 1 um, uh, Corinthians, uh, there was something, there was problems going on at the Corinthian church. There was something that they lacked, something that was at the root of of their problem, and that was that they lacked love. And the antidote to the problems that they were having in the church was just that, it was love. And the absence of love is what led to the problems of the, in the church in the first place. They yearned, remember, uh, or rather Paul yearns with them. He eagerly presses in on them to pursue love, to earnestly chase after love above all else. And at the end of verse uh, chapter 12 verse 31 he says eagerly desire the higher gifts and he's speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit remember we had just read about this in chapter 12 and, and it's those things those spectacular gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Corinthians were captivated by they were obsessed with those spiritual gifts and they sought after those gifts particularly they sought after the gifts that were spectacular and impressive that and would set them above, apart above others Other ordinary Christians with boring and unimpressive unimpressive gifts. But Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he takes it a step farther and says, and I will show you still a more excellent way, even than that. And so the more excellent way that they should pursue is the way of love. It's the way of love. And it is that, the way of love, never-ending love, that Paul goes on to explain. Love, you see, is more excellent than the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy, uh, that they so desire. Love is better than that. It's better than the spiritual gifts. Remember chapters 12 and 14 uh, talk about, it. he's answering this, this issue of theirs um, about that's centered on the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 13 is not, again, merely a sidebar that's disconnected from those chapters. It's not a departure from the, the topic of the, of, of the spiritual and spiritual gifts but it's rather a central uh, a part of what Paul is doing, what he's teaching about the spiritual gifts. So Paul's talking about the spiritual things, spiritual gifts, and he drops in chapter 13 right in the middle of that discussion because that is the key to what he's going to say. And it's really wonderful the way that chapter uh, 13 begins and ends, and we see this, it uh, begins and ends by, there's this contrast that Paul is making between uh, that which is permanent and that which is temporal, what is temporary and eternal. Right? between uh, the permanent nature and an eternal value of love, contrasting that with the temporary nature and the temporary value of the gifts of the Spirit. Right? You see what he's doing there, eternal versus temporary. But let's first walk through uh, what our first heading there, the deficit of love, and see what Paul's doing in the first three, cha- first three verses, uh, the deficit of love. Uh, Paul starts here by arguing that without love, the gifts of the Spirit are nothing. They're nothing. And he speaks of himself theoretically to make a point. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And notice where he starts. He starts with what gift? Tongues. Right. The gift of tongues. Now why would he do that? Why would he start with the gift of tongues? To put it in its place. Well, he specifically refers to this gift because this is the gift that the Corinthians were so obsessed with. It's a gift that they were seeking after and using to divide the church. But Paul goes to the heart of that, their error, and says that if he could speak supernaturally in the tongues of men and even angels, he says, if he has not love, he's nothing more than a clanging cymbal or a, 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 a gong. And you can see how these words of Paul would have impacted, shocked the Corinthians at the church there. It's because they were judging their spirituality on the absence or presence of that spectacular gift of speaking in tongues. It would shame them. It would shame those who were doing this in the church who had exalted themselves above others because they had this gift. And Paul uses himself, again, as a hypothetical example. But what he's doing is he's getting them to see themselves in that example. He's telling them that if they think they're really big stuff, if they think they're something special because they can speak in tongues, he says, if you don't have love... If you don't have love, you're nothing nothing that has lasting value. You may have confused and convinced yourself by by way of your former pagan pagan worldview that you were a top-tier, super-spiritual Christian. But if you don't have love, he says, you're nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Temporal, finite, without lasting value. That's what Paul's doing in verse 1, and then he goes on in verse 2. And he says, and if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. I am nothing. See, Paul here is giving a list again of other sensational gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Corinthians were obsessed with. He mentioned this list earlier in chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. And here he lists the gifts of prophecy, understanding all, All mysteries and all knowledge. He says, if I have all faith to work all miracles, miracle working faith, even if a person has all of those supernatural gifts of the Spirit in the greatest capacity, but he has not love, he's nothing. Those gifts are temporal. Those gifts are temporary. They're finite. They're only for time. They're of the sort that without love they are nothing. But what is love? Love is permanent. Love's value is eternal. Its nature is ongoing. And those gifts being lauded and sought after with such vigor, no matter the high status of the person who had them, that person is nothing in the estimation of God in the absence, in the deficit of love. And it goes on in verse 3, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. What praiseworthy actions to win the acclaim of man, giving up everything, Uh, giving your body to be burned as a martyr. What acclaim this would have sought from others, I mean would have given brought from others. But in the eyes of God, without love, those things are what? They count for nothing. We see that the point of verses 1 to 3 is that it is love and not the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the praiseworthy acts of men giving all that I have, extraordinary gifts, even giving the body to be burned. It is not these things, Paul says, Paul tells the Corinthians, Paul tells the church, but rather love that gives lasting, eternal, permanent value to the service and actions of the believer. We know this very thing if we think of other parts of uh, Scripture. Think of Matthew 7, where he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Can we think of someone else in the New Testament? Someone who of whom this to be the case. Someone who healed the sick, someone who performed miracles, cast out demons, but failed to answer the kingdom to enter the kingdom of heaven. Did not Judas Iscariot do these very things? He did, and that was the very, that's the very point that Paul makes in verses 1 to 3. The deficit of love leaves, leaves all else as nothing. And these verses function as a warning, a warning that Paul is giving to the church in Corinth. It's a rebuke, it's an admonition. First and foremost, that is what this chapter is about. It's a warn, This chapter is a warning to them. It's not primarily a, a discourse on the subject of love. For weddings or musing the musings of romantics. Again, I think it's fine to be used as that. It describes love, it's what love looks like. But primarily it's a rebuke on the, the Corinthian church because they manifested so grossly that they have failed to love one another, the absence of love, the deficit of love in that church. They did not love each other as God in Christ had loved them. And it was grotesque to Paul, as it should be grotesque to us. Again, I'm not saying that you can't read or muse upon this chapter or read it at weddings. But in the context that we find it, Paul is doing something much more than that. All the issues and problems at the church at Corinth. Recall what they were. I won't catalog them, but here comes Paul. Right in the middle of talking about their problems. And he nails it. He puts his finger on the root of the problem of theirs. It's right there. They lack love for one another. They lack the love... With which God and Christ had loved them. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13's point is to confront and correct those sinful, selfish actions and attitudes in the church, it was a corrective to them from that gross sin. And as we move on to the next section, verses 4 to 7, we need to see the overall point of what Paul is doing. Um, and perhaps you've never looked at 1 Corinthians 13 in this way. But I think if you do, you will see with new eyes that this chapter is a lot, what, what it's really about and how it fits into what Paul is doing. Uh, and this is section two, uh, the description of love. Beginning in verse four, love is patient, love is kind. Right, see, how Paul, see how Paul begins the description of love with positive descriptions. Love is patient, love is kind. Patient and kind. Those are descriptions of God himself. Those are two of God's attributes. God is patient. God is kind. How often can you remember reading the Old Testament, reading in the scriptures, and how often are we reminded in our own lives of the long-suffering patience of our patient, long-suffering God? He is merciful. He suffers long. He is patient, he is good, he is merciful, he is tender, he loves, he is gracious. That's our God. He is patient, he is kind. And we see what Paul is doing here. He's not just describing love as an abstract moral virtue to be sought after. Paul defines love in terms of the character of God himself. And why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do that? It's because he goes to to God as the source and standard of love. The love with which we are to love one another. To love someone is to reflect the love of God to them. Reflect the character of God towards them. To love someone is to treat them as God treats them for the sake of Jesus Christ. It is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, We we read this elsewhere. Romans 8.38 says something similar. Romans eight thirty eight. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord right there it is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord isn't that wonderful love Isn't that glorious truth, brothers and sisters? Isn't that the very thing we need to stir our often cold hearts? The love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That's the love of God for us. The love of God uh, most excellently shown and manifested in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And that love, Paul says in Romans 8, it's, it's from that love that we can never be separated. That is a glorious truth glorious truth if you belong to him so this is both the source and the standard of love for one another for you and me god is right in the same way i loved you so you love one another he says elsewhere Uh, it is christ jesus of course who makes that love of god known to us and brings that love of god to us it is that love which fills our hearts uh, with with love for one another again it is the motive this is the motive and the, the model and the means right? we are enabled to love by the Holy Spirit working in us. So Paul says, love is patient. I'm sure you would affirm with me, God is patient with you, dear Christian. He's patient with you. He's long-suffering to you, with you. Love is to extend that patience that God has extended to you towards others. And then love is kind. Uh, someone said that patience and kindness represent the passive and active qualities of God's love towards us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I like that. I think that, that that's a, a good description. Patience and kindness, they represent the passive and active qualities of God's love towards us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Patience and kindness, God is patient with us, but he is also kind towards us. And these two, patience and kindness, are the two qualities of the love of God in Jesus from which we can never be separated. But you grasp that, you see the magnitude of what Paul is saying. It is mind-blowing. It is remarkable. It is wonderful. And as we have received his love, we are to extend that love towards each other. Love is patient. Love is kind. Paul starts with these two positive uh, attributes, these two positive characteristics characteristics of God himself and when he moves from those to this long list of negatives, explaining what love is not like, definition by negation and we continue with the description of love in verse, verse 4, uh, after love is patient and love is kind then he says, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth Right? Love is not selfish. Love is not self focused or self obsessed. Love is not self seeking, which manifests these qualities uh, boastful, arrogant, rude. Right? And in verse 6, it says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Right? And see there the, uh, where there's a contrast between the truth and wrongdoing. And this doesn't mean just agreeing with the truth, but love rejoices with the truth. And so we look at this list of these negative statements and we ask, why? Why this list of negative statements about love? Why, again, did the Holy Spirit inspire the Apostle Paul to define by negation? Describing what love is not like. He gives two positive statements and then these eight negatives. Well, the answer is that if you get what Paul is doing here, then you understand that he is correcting the sinful attitudes and actions of the Corinthians, of the Christians at the Corinthian church. Paul's giving a list of their attitudes. He's giving a list of their actions and behaviors. Paul's admonishing them for what they have been doing and how they have been acting. And that's it, right? They, they have been acting envious. They have been uh, envious and boastful and arrogant and rude. They have sought after their own way. They were resentful. They were irritable. And you remember in chapter 5, regarding the adulterous relationship with the man's mother-in-law. What what did it say there? They rejoiced at wrongdoing. It says they boasted in it. They boasted in it. So Paul's telling them things that characterize their lifestyle are not what love is characterized by. And that's clear if we just read read them into the descriptions. The Corinthians were envious. They were boastful. They were arrogant. The Corinthians were rude. They were arrogant. They were resentful and wrongdoing. Those are all problems at the Corinthian church. And these are the kind of things that Paul has been addressing from the beginning of this letter. That's why love is described negatively by what love is not. It's a rebuke upon them for not living according to the love of God which was God showed them in Christ. They were not loving one another in that way. They were not being who they are, right? They were not living. Uh, they were living at cross purposes with who they actually were. New creations indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They hadn't been caring for another. They hadn't been building one another up. They hadn't been edifying one another. They've been divided, dividing one another. They've been envious of each other. That's not how love is. That's not what love looks like. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not proud. It is not envious. It is not self-centered. It does not insist, etc. Then in verse 8, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures all things. Right? But it believes all things. This is a reference to the character of love that believers in God, and it never fails to have faith in God. It never fails to believe in the Lord it hopes all things. Love hopes all. This is not some Pollyannish description or Pollyannish optimism. What it means is that the love, that love never fails to hope. It never fails to hope in the promises of God. God is able to preserve you through all the trials that, 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 that he allows you to go through. Whatever it is that we face, it says uh, love endures all things, all things. And see the climax of Paul's statement there at the beginning of verse 8. The beginning of this list, he says, love never ends. It never ends. And there it is again, right? There's that contrast between the permanent and the temporary. Love endures. Love abides. Love endures, abides forever. It is eternal, it never ends. Its value is eternal. Love's nature is eternal. Now listen this characteristic of love, that it is never ending, Paul began with and re- returns here at. It isn't just to say that love abides forever, but that it belongs to the eternal state to which we are going. Right, It abides forever, and we are going there. Right. In other words, Paul's point in this next section, verses 8 to 13, is that love is not only our duty, but it's our destiny. Right. It, it's our destiny. It describes what glory will be like. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts into which he pours the Father's love. Right? Romans 5 5 said. What a beautiful, one of my favorite pictures in all of Scripture. How glorious. How beautiful. What a mind-blowing truth. Isn't that helpful in your own lives? Isn't it helpful to know that God, the Holy Spirit, is residing within your heart? And that He is pouring the love of God the Father into that very heart so that you can begin to love as He desires. Love is a duty. It's our our destiny, but it's also a derived love. It comes from the Lord. It's not ours. Brothers and sisters, we are headed towards the state of perfection in love. And love is characteristic of that state of perfection. And when Christ comes again, he will usher in that state. And the consummate God-derived love is to characterize the lives of those who belong to that world to come. Do you see that? That perfect consummate state, glory itself, is our true homeland. It is there that we are citizens. We are citizens of that place. And that love is the ethic of the heavenly realm. And we being citizens there are to live that ethic out even now. Even now in this world, in this earthly temporal place, this finite place we are to live, that heavenly ethic, even now. Because that's who you are. That's who you are if you belong to Jesus. If you see who you are, then be who you are. Be who you are. That's what Paul is telling them. That love is characterized, it is to characterize our lives. We continue in verse 8. Love never ends. It is permanent. It is never ending. And with Paul returning to this contrast, the temporary and the permanent, contrasting again the eternal Nature and value of love, with the temporary nature and value of the gifts of the spirit. There's a planned obsolescence in those gifts, right? Not with love. There's no ending of love, right? Again, he says here, speaking of the gifts of the spirit. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And he takes these things that were so these things that are so important to them, and he says they're they're, gonna, they're temporary. They will pass away. They will be gone. That is why without them, without love, they are nothing, even here. He says the word, he says knowledge, he means uh, the word of knowledge, right? The gift of the word of knowledge that we read about in chapter 12. Um, the gifts of prophecy and tongue, the word of knowledge. These, these uh, uh, gifts, being spectacular and valuable, again, they will all pass away. They are as nothing without love. You Corinthians are using... These things. You're judging other people by them, he says, based on that which is transitory and temporary. That which will not last, you're judging the, uh, the rest of the ch- church on. Paul says they have no lasting value, but love. Love abides forever. Love is eternal, it has lasting value. It's character, it is the characteristic of our true homeland of glory. Love. Look at verses 9 and 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. He says when perfect comes it's a reference to that state of perfection that state of completion which Christ will bring when he returns the partial then will pass away and the knowledge that we have now which is merely partial it will pass away and will be replaced with the complete knowledge. Right? Paul gives this illustration in verse 11 of this to show uh, what it will be like when Christ returns. He says in verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When Christ returns, it will be like maturing and growing from a child into an adult, a fully matured adult. And verse 12 explains this. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now what's it like now? What is it, what is it like in this, this, this temporary, earthy world that we live in, Paul? It's like seeing in a mirror dimly, he says. We only see dim reflections, murky reflections. But in the consummate state, with, when Christ returns, it's in that state of perfection. Then we'll see God face to face what glory now I know in part then I shall, I shall know fully even as I have been fully known right? do, you comp- do you contemplate these things brothers and sisters Where Paul, when Paul says elsewhere to uh, uh, whatever is noble and lovely and true and beautiful think upon these things what's more glorious and beautiful and lo- and, uh, than this right? First Corinthians 13 do you fill your hearts and your minds and souls with the beauty and glory of the truth of God's word and his promises to you all right, that's my question to you. Because I promise you, brothers and sisters, if you aren't filling them with something, someone else is going to fill it. So take time to fill your heart and your mind in consideration of these th- things that are eternal. The love of God in Christ Jesus extended to you. It will give you joy and delight. And you will feel small before your mighty king, as you should. But you will be overjoyed. And you will begin to comprehend the mighty and marvelous Love of God in Christ. Profound. Profound indeed. Of course, even then, we will not be omniscient, knowing everything. Paul's not saying that. We'll still be finite creatures. Nevertheless, we will know God in a new way. Right? In a different way than we know Him now. Isn't that amazing? We have to look forward to, in glory, a whole new way of knowing. Our knowledge of God will be a direct knowledge, face-to-face, It says beautifully. That's the contrast between now and then that Paul is making. Our knowledge of God now versus what knowledge will be like when he returns. He says, now I know full, I will know, will know fully even as I have been fully known. Well, let's wrap this up. We'll look at the last verse, verse 13. Verse 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these graces, these, this faith, hope, and love, says Paul, is love. Right? As great as faith is, as great as hope is, love is even greater. Faith abides now. But in the world to come, we will see how. Face to face, he just said. Now we walk by faith, not by sight. Hope abides now, but hope is that for which we don't have now, currently. Hope is for things unseen, it says. It's for things that we don't possess. But in the world to come, we'll possess all. And so the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, is love, Paul says. Its nature, its value, is eternal. Because all three of these, this is the only one that that is the case. Therefore, love is the greatest of all. And so more than anything else, dear Christian, the most excellent way is to pursue love. And that's Paul's inspired message to the church in Corinth. And it's the same message to us, even at the church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. May we always, more than any of these, pursue love in our pursuit for Christ Jesus. And we come to find out it was him who pursued us first and loved us while we were yet sinners. Let us live that faith even now, dear Christian. And may the world see this weird, peculiar people loving one another and and realize that that's the very thing that is wrong and missing from their lives, the love of God in Christ. That we live our lives knowing that the only way that we can love it all is because Christ loved us. Amen.